Screenless. Welcome to another Creative Cuppa. This week my guest is Sam Pierce, and Sam has, like so many other people in the creative industries, had to adapt in 2020 when his work as a live musician hit a brick wall. We had a fascinating chat about how he got started in his career and how he's embraced a different approach. Sitting comfortably, here we go. Sam Pierce, French horn session musician, digital marketing consultant, fitness enthusiast. Welcome to Creative Cuppa. Hello. It's very nice to be here. Thank you. You're very welcome. Uh, So Sam, although those three things might seem different to each other, they're they're connected in life terms, I suppose, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. For most musicians, most classical musicians, we have to try and strike a balance between being available to work and having a steady income. And for me, I'm not... Personally, a huge fan of teaching. I I do it, but it's not something that I really enjoy. And so in the last year, I've really been looking for something else to do that I can fit around my classical music work. And that's where the marketing came in. Yeah, yeah. And uh, certainly the first lockdown, the situation for all musicians, really, uh, was very much the same, wasn't it? Just hit a brick wall. It certainly was. I, I think there was uh, there was some hope at the start that things might get back to normal quite quickly. And I remember I was very pleased with myself. I, I kept up playing my horn every day for five weeks. And then one day I was I was sat in my spare room and I just thought, this is hopeless. So I, I put my horn in the case for a couple of weeks um, and thought about what else I could be doing. Wow. Okay, so let's go back then. When did you start playing the French horn and when did you realise that you could make a career from playing it? I started playing the horn when I was 10 and a a nice lady came to my primary school and she she came and demonstrated the instrument and I remember very clearly actually she played Star Wars and Ah. I, I still occasionally go back to my home village and, and see some of my old primary school friends and they still ask me if I can play Star Wars today which is amazing it's it's, it's nice to be able to to look back on that actually um to answer the second part of your question I, I was so deeply involved in in music from certainly from about the age of 13 uh I was doing youth orchestra a couple of times a week and playing in various other ensembles and um when I was in sixth form, my teacher decided that she'd had enough of uh, doing the sort of Saturday afternoon turn up and play gigs, call societies and, and that sort of thing. And so she started passing them on to me. And I, I was very lucky that right from that moment, I, I, I never had a never had a Saturday job in a cafe or anything. I, I was mostly going out and playing in scratch orchestras where you just turn up on the afternoon and rehearse and then do the concert in the evening. In education terms then, it was one of the London uh, colleges that you went to, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I had a friend who was a few years older than me who went to the Royal College of Music in Kensington and <clears throat> I was I was very inspired to follow in his footsteps. And it was quite serendipitous, really. I, I ended up being taught by the same person who taught my first teacher. Uh, so that was another That's big amazing. draw. Very, very knowledgeable and uh, and wise man called Julian Baker. And you 
came out of that with a first. I did. So, so you, yeah, which is, uh, well, <laughs> completely understandable. Uh, I've heard you play. And then, so at that point, did you make a leap into professional session playing? Or was there... Well... In fact, there was something, wasn't there? There was something. There was an umpar brass band that happened. <laughs> yes, there was. <laughs> I was approached at the bar at the RCM by uh, a guy called Nathan, who was a postgrad at the time that I was a first year. And he said, I'm putting together this band and we're going to play some German umpire music in a pub. Do you want to be involved? And I said, yes, that sounds great. And we did the first gig. Uh, we inherited it from some other people. And I thought it would be quite good fun to, bring, to do an arrangement of YMCA as a polka. Also, I'm Horny by Moose Tea versus Hot and Juicy. Of course, why not? For some reason. Uh, and funnily enough, I was walking up the steps to the Albert Hall when I had the idea. And I'll never forget that moment of having the idea walking out of college and up towards the bus stop. We rehearsed it in room 28, which was one of the basement rooms at the RCM. And it was the famous brass room. And we couldn't get through it because we were laughing so much. It was wonderful. And uh, when we did finally get to the end, there was a small round of applause from up above us. And we discovered that a small crowd had formed on the street and they were listening down into this wow. basement window. So we thought, right, well, maybe we're on to something here. And after about six months, we'd um, got up enough pop music to be able to do the whole of the second half of the show was pop. Uh, and eventually after, I don't know, perhaps a year, we completely ditched playing any traditional stuff we just found that our, our audiences over here they they loved the idea in these Oktoberfest style pubs they loved the idea of the music but they didn't relate to the traditional German music uh, so that's where the, the pop songs came in and we, we were very very fortunate for about a decade actually to to kind of ride the wave of the rising popularity of brass band music that in part came over from New Orleans and we were very much part of that and we were very proud to do it. But we got to our 10th anniversary and I, I, I'd been doing a fair amount of classical playing uh, alongside it. And I played with some good orchestras and, and got a decent CV. And I was really, really struggling to keep up, funnily enough, with the, the quiet playing. That was the big thing for me. Yeah. So yeah, you mentioned before that the the style of playing was quite different. You know, yes, when you're, you're out touring, it's a lot more raucous and. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I used to to liken it to um, on a Saturday night playing a game of rugby, but then on Sunday morning trying to get up and dance with the Royal Ballet. Yeah, <laughs> and it just I I just couldn't do it anymore. So I I had I decided to sort of quit while we were ahead. It's amazing, isn't it that that one chance meeting at a bar and uh, you're touring for 10 years and touring <laughs> the world. You you were going around the world, yeah, weren't you? Yeah, we were lucky. We were, we were very, very fortunate. I can't quite believe it, frankly. <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've done a, a lot of things that it's possible that no French horn player has ever done <laughs> um, and, and may never do again. Um, so There's an autobiography that, in there somewhere, I think. Yes. There, there, I, there was some pushback from my teachers, particularly one of them. Okay. Which not Julian actually. There was a bit of pushback, and it, it, it was it was justified, but I, I think also quite narrow-minded. When we look at what French horn players do traditionally, it's very straight that you you do classical music or, or you do nothing, and to exist outside of that world, I think was it was an, a really alien concept to them. 
So they they were naturally apprehensive about whether it was sustainable or not. So not only did you get back into the classical world, you honed your skills so much that you became basically a session musician for soundtracks. Yes. Which I know very well from speaking to other musicians in that field and other people in that process, the the process of making soundtracks, that you have to be at a certain level to be able to sit down and sight read pretty instantly Mm. like that. Yeah, tell us a a little bit about that, how you got into that. Well, I actually don't know how I got into it. (laughs) I just woke up and it was there. It's entirely possible. It's actually um, a case of mistaken identity. (laughs) Brilliant. But I'm there and I've managed to stick around. And what you said, without trying to big ourselves up too much, is quite right, Gareth, that, that it is all about being able to sight read efficiently. Uh, and f- for those people who uh, who don't know, we very, very rarely know even who the composer is or what the piece is before we turn up at the studio. So I will get a call. It says, can you come to Abbey Road or wherever on this day at this time? I say yes. It gets confirmed 24 hours before. And then you turn up and, and my, my best piece of advice is turn up an hour early every time because you've got time to practice it then if it's hard. <laughs> but we, we genuinely have no idea. It, it could be anything from a TV advert to a jingle to a Hollywood soundtrack. And that's why it's quite interesting for me. There's an awful lot of variety and every composer uh, writes in, in a very different way. But what it does mean is that I would say 19 times out of 20, you turn up and you have quite a nice day. And then on that 20th time, it's an absolute horror show. And it's the most stressful thing you've ever done in your life. So it's definitely beneficial to be prepared, to be on good form. Yeah, there is an enormous pressure, isn't there, to get it right first time? Because you are committing something on that day at that moment. Absolutely. In in a way, it's it's very different to playing in a, in a concert, in, a, in an orchestra concert or anything else, because on the one hand, you, you have this, this pressure of the red light being on and, and it's actually more not wanting to mess it up for everybody else than, than yourself. But the, at the same time, there's also this sort of, there's this feeling that you can, you can just do it again if it goes wrong. Which is also, I don't know, I find that quite reassuring in a way that when, you, when you're sat on stage in a concert, it's, you either win or lose in that yeah. scenario. It can be very stressful or it can be very, very boring. And one of the other, the, the big differences is that you're, when you're being a, a studio musician, you're not really having any creative input. Uh, everything is incredibly well marked out on the page. And you're just producing this sound. It's a bit like being a, a bricklayer. You're building the wall, but you didn't design the wall. You're not the architect. Yeah. Fantastic. So session musician, digital marketing consultant. After you decided that you needed something else, you set up your own company for digital marketing. Ditton DGM. That's correct. Yes, Ditton DGM. How's that going? It is has been a very interesting process. During lockdown... My wife and I decided that we were both going to retrain uh, in something away from music. And it was partly just as something to fill the time. And we found these 10-week part-time courses that 
were done entirely from home and they were sort of boot camp style. Uh, so at the end, you got an industry recognised certificate, uh, but you didn't have to sit final exams or anything like that. So I chose to do digital marketing and I had a little previous experience in it from running the social media for, for Empire Brass and for uh, doing a little bit of Instagram influencing uh, on the side a few years ago for, for a running brand. And it came quite naturally, actually. The theory sunk in very well. And then it was the end of 10 weeks and suddenly I had to do something with it. <laughs> and it, it was very scary, actually, putting yourself out there in, in a way that musicians are, are not naturally inclined to do. Certainly classical musicians are not naturally inclined to do. Uh, so I built this website and I invested some money in some advertising, which was a very good learning experience because we'd only learned the theories about all this stuff. We hadn't actually done any of it for ourselves. So I, I was listening to, I, I did listen to your uh, Creative Cuppa with an SEO consultant whose name I forget. Oh yes, Phil, Phil with, Gregory. Yes, yep. with Phil. And I completely agreed with what he said. And also I was frankly quite relieved to hear what he said, that it was much the same <laughs> as what I was doing. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, that's good. It's got to be reassuring. It uh, certainly was. Uh, and a, a lot of it, once you've learned the theories about, it's about just getting stuck in and, and, and testing, trying something, testing, measuring the results, and then trying to optimize from there. And it's, it's so completely different to, to playing the horn in that sense. And I can do it from home. I, I can pick it up and put it down. It doesn't require practice in the same way that keeping your chops in does. So it's it's been a great experience. And I, I've, I've picked up a, a couple of clients, some of whom I, I knew already, promoting concerts, which hopefully will happen around Christmas. And then there's the furniture maker. And Ooh. that has been a, a real learning experience. I've learned a lot about office furniture. <laughs> it's something that is is just I, I know I keep coming back to this but it's just something completely different yeah they couldn't really be any further away no. from each other could they which in some ways a very good thing yes variety is the spice of life and all that absolutely and I can speak from personal experience when you uh when you qualified you actually helped me out um, so I've used your company, DGM. So I can happily recommend you to <laughs> listeners well, thank you. If, you're, if they're looking to sort out their SEO and uh, digital marketing uh, strategies and things like that. Go and have a word with Sam. I'll put a, a link in the show notes as well. Please do. Thank you. Let's round off. I mentioned fitness in the introduction there. Mm. Fitness is really, really important to you, isn't it? Why is that? Well, I had a bit of a health scare about 10 years ago. And it was not life-threatening, but generally fairly unpleasant. And I was doing a little bit of running before it. My, my father has been a runner uh, for many, many years. And so I've always grown up with particularly cross-country running as, a, as something good to do at the weekend. Uh, so I, I started getting into running in, in, in particular in 2011 after, after this illness and found it to be rather good from both the physical and mental point of view. Of course, from the physical, I, I got fitter uh, and my what's called my resting heart rate came down. And that actually translated into being less nervous in performances. We have a lower oh. heart rate. It can yeah. get higher before it starts 
affecting you. I, I've got no idea if that's the science, but that's how it felt to me. So sounds logical. <laughs> yeah. As well as that, there's the mental side. Um, I, I'm very fortunate that I've done a lot of touring, as we've alluded to. I don't mind driving long distances, but it's it's not great. And sometimes as a as a classical musician, you have to go drive a long way to play stuff you don't really want to play. So I started always throwing my running shoes in the car and trying to find somewhere fun to go for a run. In the process of that over the years, I've been to nearly uh, every county high point in England. I think I've got about seven to do uh, out of 48. I've had all kinds of silly little adventures uh, and in places that I would never otherwise have gone to, just stopping in a little village that's 10 minutes off the M1 just because it's there, that sort of thing. So that helps make my long days better. That's for sure. But as a overriding sense, to have something that is as important to you as your job, in my opinion, is incredibly important because we could all find ourselves without a job very quickly. I'm sure we can all agree that 2020 has uh, has proven that point. I, I, I realised that if I couldn't play the horn anymore, then I would still have something that I love. And that's worth its weight in gold for me. Well, you know, I think a 53-mile ultra marathon, <laughs> you're getting to the, the further reaches, aren't you? Of your, yeah, there's <laughs> of a lot of... You can go. Do you know, there's a lot of similarities between... I think playing Mahler symphonies in particular <laughs> and that... Because you, you sit at the beginning or a really long opera. You know, I once played... Um, once played Tristan and Isolde in a staged version, an on-stage concert performance, which meant that we couldn't leave the pit, which would would normally happen in a massive Wagner opera like like Tristan. If you'd have forty minutes off at one point, you could just go and get a cup of coffee and then come back in five minutes before you start again. That's completely normal practice in opera houses around the world. We were doing this wow. concert performance. Uh, in Lucerne on the stage and so we couldn't leave and I sat there for 45 minutes at one point and didn't play a note the concert started at five and finished at 10 30 and I remember being sat on stage before this concert thinking I just don't know how I'm ever going to get through this and then you make it to the end of act one and you go right we've got I've done that so now I'm just going to make it to the end of act two and before you know it the evening's finished and you're taking a bow and, and you'll go to the pub and it's sort of ultra running I found is quite similar to that. It's this, it's just, you get all of life in a day yeah. where you get high points where things are going well and you get low points where you just don't think you it will ever finish or you or you just don't think you're, you're capable of doing it. I tell you, there's nothing worse as an orchestral musician than messing something up and then having to sit there for 10 minutes until your next entry just stewing about it because oh, you yeah. can't rectify it there's there's, there's yeah. nothing that can be done that's fantastic well sam i wish we could just natter all day about all this <laughs> stuff uh, but for now thank you very much for joining me for a cuppa no problem at all thanks for having me cheers cheers <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again to Sam for his time and thanks always to you for listening. I love getting feedback and comments so do take a look on Twitter, Facebook and or Instagram at at ScreenlessPod. Must be a better way of saying that. Uh, come and have a chat in the Facebook group. You can find that on the Screenless page. All those links are in the show notes. Have a great week but for now, thanks for joining me for a cuppa.